You're listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcba.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. If you would, please open your Bibles with me, the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, as we continue to walk through the book of Acts in a series that we're simply calling Gospel Shorts, the real gospel in the reels of Acts. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow. So incredibly grateful to just study the resiliency of the church as your pastor. I'm just overwhelmed with the resiliency of God's people. Just so incredibly grateful for your prayerfulness here, your expectancy, your flexibility to see what the Lord is doing in and through his people. We had dozens on Friday and yesterday night in downtown BA, loving on our community, faithfully sharing the gospel as the Lord allows. Oh, we have just seen an incredible favor and blessing of God, specifically in regard to our resources. We are currently right now 109% of our greater still projection. Praise the Lord. And so as you continue to faithfully follow Christ, be encouraged. We start construction tomorrow right here on our campus. We'll be praying for our construction teams, our media teams, our creative teams, all of these people that God has aligned. Also, be praying for those who have recently accepted Christ. If you're here today and you've accepted Christ and you're wanting to take a next step with him in baptism, we have a baptism service coming up at the end of October. Church, be encouraged. The word is being preached. We are lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. We are studying the scriptures in small groups. We are living out the scriptures in missions and we are being his church right here and now. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you about this morning from Acts chapter 19. I want to remind you that our content team has put together a devotional that walks right alongside the sermon. If you're interested in that this week, as you continue to follow Jesus, text the word sermon to 45776. Now, have you ever seen anything that's out of this world? I mean, have you really in your life really gone to a place or, or even just with happenstance to say, well, I've never seen this before. This is out of this world. Well, you know what? If you're traveling on old Highway 169 near Oolagaw Lake in Rogers County, Oklahoma, you can see just that. You can literally see a NASA space capsule that landed there in the mid-60s, early 70s. The problem is that's not happening at all. In fact, really, sometime in 1959, around 1960, a cement driver crashed his truck on the side of the road in Rogers County, Oklahoma. (laughs) By the time he got some help, the cement had solidified in the mixer and it was too heavy to move. And so being the ingenuity geniuses we are as Oklahomans, we saw an opportunity here. And so the residents in Rogers County painted the cement truck called it a NASA space capsule. It is literally one of the most popular indigenous landmarks in this entire part of the country now. Is this a great state or what, right? It is completely fake. This is not a NASA space capsule at all. It is some guy's cement truck in Rogers County, Oklahoma. What appeared to be one thing was in actuality, something else. What appeared to be something great, magnanimous, was actually not that at all. And that is exactly what is going on when we come to one of the most bizarre chapters in the entire Bible, Acts chapter 19. There will be a group of men, these seven sons of Steva, that will claim to have great magical power. And they're using this to manipulate people. 
to monetize the gospel. In contrast, you will have the apostle Paul who will from the power of God give real life change. And that is exactly what you and I are here for, to shine his light, to provide clarity, to tell the world Jesus is over anything. So why don't we study together this morning one of the most unique and bizarre stories in the entire book of Acts in Acts chapter 19. Now frequently in the book of Acts, when a gospel ministry is started and a ministry begins to flourish, swift adversity comes upon God's people. Nevertheless, even since Acts chapter one, the word of God continues to flourish despite the opposition of Satan, despite the forces of evil. And so Paul, beginning his third missionary journey now in Acts chapter 19, begins to enter into a synagogue, according to verse eight, in Ephesus. He will stay there for three months. He will boldly preach the kingdom of the triune God. But ultimately, specifically in verses 10 through 13, he'll begin to expand his outreach. He'll begin to leave the synagogue and he will take over specifically a lecture hall of Tyrannius, a public place in which Paul can engage both Jews and Greeks with the gospel. There is this continual truthism that keeps showing up in the book of Acts. If people won't come to us, we must go to them. That there must be a proactivity and intentionality. The love of Christ and the gospel of Christ compels us to share Christ with others. This past weekend, we had an opportunity to do that in our Rose Festival. I was amazed at hearing the stories of some of our people, how they were just overwhelmed by how many people had never heard of our church or how many people were new to Broken Arrow. We have the nations are coming to this part of Tulsa. We met people from Europe. We met people from Africa. We met people from Asia. We met people from California. They're coming everywhere, right here. And you and I have the privilege of sharing the gospel with them. Our next steps pastor, <coughs> Robbie Evans, he was hanging out and doing life on Friday. and He was gonna get his, his tires checked. And he, he ran into an old buddy of his that he hadn't seen for decades. And you know, occasionally they would run into each other, but you know, there's no continual relationships there. And so Robbie was talking to this man, saying, hey, how are you doing? And the man was brave enough and bold enough to tell him, not good. I'm not doing well at all. I put on this facade on the outside, but on the inside, I need help. Struggling. And Robbie, sensing a divine God moment, began to share with him the gospel. Began to share with him, can I tell you what God has done in my life? He began to talk about from the scriptures how God has placed a God-shaped hole in every single one of our hearts that only God can fill. That ultimately life isn't about the pursuit of things, but it's the pursuit of God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the moment that you give your life to Christ, God begins to not only fill that hole, but fuel your life with the gospel. There's a tremendous encouragement, conversation. We must be that proactive. You see throughout the book of Acts, God's people being faithful to the opportunities that God has given them. And that's exactly what is going on in Acts chapter 19. You see, Ephesus was the gateway to Asia. From Rhodes, from the Euphrates, and the Mesopotamian, Galatia, all converged at Ephesus. Currently, though Ephesus is located in, in some modern day Western Turkey, this remote place in the middle of nowhere, it seems, at the time of Acts chapter 19, Ephesus was one of the four or five largest cities in the entire world. Ephesus was immersed in paganism, steeped in materialism, sorcery, astrology, orgies, and perverted practices. Furthermore, Ephesus was a meeting place for all the new ideas, superstitions, 
philosophies, as it was a convergence of the Eastern world and the Western world. Different ethnic groups from all over the world, language, commerce, arts, and religion, synergized in Ephesus. And so consequently, Ephesus had much tolerance for magic and sorcery, and they were very hospitable to magicians and sorcerers and charlatans of all sorts. It is this place in Asia Minor that Paul would spend the most time in his ministry. That of the 250,000 people in Ephesus at the time of Acts chapter 19, they would not only bring a tremendous challenge to Paul's ministry, but also a great opportunity to share the gospel. So that is why Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he placed a heightened emphasis on not just the gospel ministry of Paul, but also miracles. The extraordinary power of God through Paul. Jesus must be over everything. So why don't we study this story together in Acts chapter 19. Why don't we begin in verses 11 through 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Let's stop right there. Throughout the book of Acts, the movement of God is proclaimed through two primary things. The word of God and confirmed by miracles. Now, why would God do this in such time? You have to remember that the New Testament has not been written yet. I've already told you of this overwhelming tolerance in Ephesus and many like cities to magic and sorcery and even spiritual darkness. So what is going to distinguish the apostles' message? What is going to set them apart from society? Not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, a good news that is received, not achieved, but also miracles, the power of God, indistinguishably, not of man, not of illusion, but of the goodness and grace and power of the Lord. Now notice Luke references in verse 11, who was doing these miracles? Though Paul was the means, God himself was the source. God the Father is the source of these miracles in Ephesus. It is the power of God through Paul that is intensely expressed even in material items. You see, you have to remind yourself that people in the ancient world, and specifically Ephesus, were particularly superstitious. And so God was using here a superstition to point to a general or a greater point. God was using even specifically the handkerchiefs or sweat cloths of Paul. It was very common in the day for workers to wear cloths on their forehead. And so when their brow began to sweat, that they would take this handkerchief and it would catch it so the sweat wouldn't get in their eyes. Also here specifically in regard to this apron or a belt or sash, it was a necessity for men, specifically working in the marketplace, so they wouldn't be tripped up by their clothes so they could move swiftly to one item to the next. Luke here is descriptive, not prescriptive of God's work in his church at Ephesus. Please hear me. God can do miracles and is still doing miracles. But the source, and thus the glory of those miracles, are not us, but God. You see, if you study the scriptures, it's amazing to me, the history of miracles. You have in the Old Testament, for instance, 4,000 years of history, an alarming amount of history at one time in 39 books. Very few miracles. You have the miracles of the Exodus and Moses. You, you have the, the miracles of the Promised Land and Joshua. 
You have the miracles from the prophet era in Elijah, but that's overwhelmingly it, a handful of individuals. You then have 400 years of silence from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And then God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ appears. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us 35 separate times there were miracles given by Jesus, overwhelmingly. Now, also John in John chapter 21, verse 25 reminds us that, look, if we were to give all the miracles of Jesus, all of the books in the entire world could not contain such content. But the point is that there was a stewardship of miracles. There was an intent of miracles. All of these years, very few miracles. Even in the book of Acts, you see the apostles, overwhelmingly Peter and Paul, distributing these miracles. Why? To affirm the gospel message as unique and distinct, but also to confirm the apostles. These were men of God. These were men empowered by God. They were not sorcerers. They were not magicians. They were not charlatans. They were simply men of God set aside to proclaim the gospel of God for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we must guard ourselves with, specifically in Tulsa, a place that treasures the charisma, a place where the word of faith movement originated and all of these things. We must boldly share the truth of the gospel, that the sufficiency of the risen Christ is enough, that the means in which God expresses his power isn't through tricks, isn't through handkerchiefs or any other material things. It is through faith, a complete, confident trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, don't leave your life to chance, but instead choose Jesus. About a month ago, my, my kids came home and they were just on cloud nine. And you were kind of wondering as a parent, like what's, what's going on here? They said, Dad, you wanna know what happened today? What? Someone pulled the fire alarm in our school. It was great. I said, well, really, tell me about this. And, and they just said, well, we were sitting in our classes. And in fact, one of my kids got out of a test. So he's like, the Lord intervened, right? <laughs> Everything was great. All of a sudden the fire alarm went out and then you know, they had to continue to, to, to go about and do their thing. They, they all had to leave the school. And so these teachers began to investigate how this fire alarm was pulled. Apparently, you know, this isn't just local news in Tulsa. If you studied what's going on in Congress over the weekend, this is national news, right? And so from that, they began to identify a specific kindergartner who on his way to recess, he saw a fire alarm. And they said, why did you pull this fire alarm? You wanna know what he said? Because it said so. He said, it said pull down, so I did. <laughs> now, unfortunately, such action is gonna warrant, uh, according to the Metro Handbook, $500 from his parents. But he was just following the rules, right? You know, the fire trucks, the firemen still gotta come check, even if it's a false pull, right? Here's my point. You and I, if we don't tell people the truth of the gospel, the sufficiency of the gospel, there are far greater cost. That we have the responsibility to tell people about the greatest miracle. And though there are profound examples of, the, of God's miracle and God's power through his people in both the Old Testament and New Testament, the greatest miracle is salvation. The greatest miracle is regeneration. The divine work of God in us, that we were spiritually dark, dead in our sins. And then we just hear of the goodness of God through his gospel, about how God's saving and rescuing us and 
For one moment, we never even really thought about God. We were around God, but it didn't mean that much to us. Jesus wasn't over anything. And then all of a sudden, it overwhelms us. All of a sudden, inside us, there's this explosion of the Spirit. And our heart has changed, and our minds are changed, and our lives are consequently changed. Can I tell you, that's the greatest miracle of the Scriptures? The greatest miracle in the Scriptures is that God would take us unholy, in an unholy world, would save us from ourselves, and then in God's sense of humor or God's providence, place us back in this unholy world as holy and keep us that way. Day in and day out, until we're together with him forever. No, we must be proactive about sharing Jesus over anything. And that's exactly what Paul does in Acts chapter 19. But look what happens. Look at this reaction in verses 13 and 16. Now then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, well, what a title, undertook to, <coughs> to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now, who are these men? Look at verse 14. The seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing these things. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, let me stop right here. There is a reaction to the gospel in Ephesus in Acts 19. There will be a reaction to the gospel in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Upon seeing the undeniable work of God through Paul the Apostle, watch it, there were people who were seeing. But instead of believing, they were trying to build their own kingdoms. These false teachers, these fake spiritualists, these Jewish exorcists misappropriate the name of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see this word exorcist in verse 13? It is only used in the entire New Testament right here. I don't know about you, but anytime you turn on the TV and you're trying to watch a college football game, there is an oversaturation of movies now that highlight exorcism and exorcists and all of these things. How are we to treat such things with my favorite Greek word in the New Testament? You ready for this? Baloney. <laughs> Baloney. It is all about themselves. It is all about money. It is all about falsely propagating, appearing to have power, but it's an illusion. And that's exactly what happens here. Now, the interesting thing is contextually, and I was surprised by this in studying Acts 19. Jewish magic was famous in antiquity. You say, why? Do you remember Jews in the Old Testament? They refused, forbidden, to name the name of God, Yahweh. And so they called him Adonai or Elohim. That there was a sense of such reverence of God that they refused to name his name. Well, there were false teachers. There were Jewish exorcists proposing as charlatans that took the divine name of God and were using it to make money to cast out demons, to monetize the power of God. You see, ancient magic consisted of a combination of several things. It was a complicated rituals, it was magic spells, it was a reciting of various names of God, the nonsensical sounds and movements. All of it was to create an illusion. It was centered upon coercion. And so these seven sons of Siva, they saw Paul's God-given work. And they said, you know what? We can do just that. Just like the false sorcerers did to Moses in the book of Exodus in front of Pharaoh. 
They said, we can take this power and we can manipulate it. We can monetize it. But see, this power is not to be manipulated. This power in the Bible always has one source, God himself. And so these men are gonna learn a valuable lesson. You see, they were fake, phony, powerless from the beginning. In fact, even in their own words in verse 13, they admit they do not know Jesus as Lord. They were using Jesus to trick the people by mimicking and imitating Paul. Did you see him in verse 13? And I adjure you. What in the world does that mean exactly? And they're about to be humiliated in their hypocrisy because in verse 15, the demon will speak. The demon takes upon a human voice. Now, I'll remind you that Jesus throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, was consistently casting out demons. That this was an expression of Jesus' power over all things in life, the physical world and the spiritual world. In fact, remember what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verses 17 and 18? Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. A divided house falls. And if Satan also was divided against himself, how will this kingdom stand? Jesus' point to the Jewish Sanhedrin in Luke chapter 11 is simply this. How can Satan cast out Satan? Only God can do such things because God is above all things. And these men are about to learn that lesson. The demon in verse 15 takes upon a voice and he tells them in verse 15, he has a personal ongoing, intimate knowledge of Jesus. Demon's theology is actually well, well intact. They don't believe it, but they know it. They know who's in charge. They know who's king. They know their ultimate fate. The demon actually said in verse 15, he actually knows Paul as well, but he doesn't have a clue who these guys are. Tragically, these men were consumed by their own hypocrisy. They reaped what they so, and the man empowered by the demon overpowers them in verse 16, humiliates them, completely dominates them is Luke's point. So much so that they leave there naked and embarrassed and everything else, wounded in life. They were utterly destroyed in their hypocrisy. They meant to display their own power and instead the reverse happened. You see, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. You say, what do you mean? You see, we try to emulate what only God can do. One of my favorite parts of the week is having lunch with my four-year-old. And we call it daddy pasta. And what it is is this microwave pasta that I have just over time in Servant Aubrey have mastered. And so I put it in the microwave for three and a half minutes and then you crease it just a little bit and then you put it in for another minute and 10 seconds, not a minute and nine seconds, not a minute and 11 seconds, minute and 10 seconds. And then as it cools, you just lay a small layer of mozzarella cheese on it. And then I serve it to my baby and she calls it daddy pasta. And so we were having daddy pasta the other day for lunch and, and Aubrey wanted to help. And so we went to the microwave and she began to say, dad, where did this power come from? I said, well, sweetheart, you just push this button right here. Boom, boom, boom. And she says, I know, but where does it come from? And I said, well, the, the good thing is that you know, we, we have it plugged in in the back. And so it provides us power. Well, where does that come from? How does it get so hot? And so I began to explain to her that, well, so there, there's a computer here and you, you, you plug in the exact setting that you want and 
And so then the computer tells the, probably you know, some sort of heat conductor that, that begins to heat up for a certain time. And then when the computer shuts it off, it shuts off. And she goes, Daddy, you don't know, do you? <laughs> and so as we were making our way back to the table, Aubrey said, I'm just gonna ask mama, yeah. <laughs> Where does power come from? I think one of the blessings of reading the book of Acts and studying the book of Acts together is that surely now, 19 chapters in, don't you know where power comes from? It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from magic. It doesn't come from some manipulation of materials. It comes from God. <coughs> Excuse me. It comes from God. It comes from an extraordinary God who works through ordinary people who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God then does powerful, extraordinary things through them. And look what God does to this situation. Look how God even used the foolishness of these charlatans in verses 17 and 19. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Almost many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of them who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now think about this. Upon seeing the profound ineptitude, the clear impetus, the disastrous fate of these fake imposters, what happened among the crowd? A reverent awe, a fear came upon all the residents of Ephesus. Consequently then, the name of Christ was exalted. The name of Christ was set apart, it was revered. And many of the saved and unsaved came and confessed their sins, gave up their magic. See, when Jesus' name is exalted, people believe. In fact, the Bible says in verses 18 and 19 that a, a large number of them made a clean break from their past, a clean break from their sinful dependence upon this magic. And so they brought their books and their scrolls and their secret formulas and they kept burning them all. That's the impetus by Luke. They just kept doing it. They just kept bringing all of their stuff. So they would see their friends put them in the fire and it would inspire them. You know what, I got another book over here. Nope, I don't need this anymore. Why? Because they have Jesus. You see, the illustration is twofold. Number one, for those of you who need Christ, you don't have to clean up a thing. So many of us think, well, you know, in order for me to follow the Lord, I gotta get my act together. I, I gotta stop doing all of these things. That's not what they did. They just brought these books and burned them. No, you come as you are. You come with your shortcomings and your addictions. You come with your struggles and you give them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you allow his gospel power to change your life. Secondly, there were Christ followers here. They were caught up in kind of this momentary rebellion. They were, they were enumerated with this fad, this magic. They said, you know what, that's not real power. That's fake. I don't need this. 
I need Jesus. And they gave it all. You see, we will never know Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. This is one of the greatest pictures in the entire book of Acts of genuine confession, repentance, a radical separation from the former life is communicated. Now, something interesting given by Luke in verse 19. The total amount and value that was burned that day, the Bible says was 50,000 pieces of silver. In the book of Acts, a piece of silver is a day's wages. Are you ready for this? They burned forever a day's wage for 138 years, every single day. In fact, the commentators have said that the estimated value, even in Acts chapter six, was $6 million total burned at one time. You see, books were incredibly expensive in the ancient world, but to these believers who had Jesus, these books were worth absolutely nothing because Jesus is over anything. Consequently, in verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and to prevail mightily. Did you notice how Luke chronicles not just the church grew, not just that disciples were increased and multiplied, no, but the message of Jesus increased, that the witness of God's people and the power of the Spirit increased. It is throughout the book of Acts that God's word is constantly creating and growing and sustaining the work of his people as they tell others about Jesus. You wanna know why? Because the Spirit of God empowers God's people to speak the word of God about Jesus. The Bible is God's spirit-empowered book about Jesus. The Old Testament predicted him. The Gospels revealed him. The Acts preached him. The Epistles explained him. And Revelation confirms he reigns forever and ever. Do you believe this? Are you allowing Jesus to be over anything? Are you in your life, are you taking this word nor are you using it as a way to grow in your fellowship of him? Who is it this week that could be encouraged with the truth of this word? Who is it this week that you can intentionally share this word with? What is it in your life that you know what? You need to burn up. That for whatever reason you've been distracted by, you're being consumed by, that you need to give back to the holy fire of God's forgiveness as you continue to follow him. May Jesus be over anything and may he be glorified in our lives as we treasure him above all things. That is the truth of Acts 19. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast and always remember, you are loved.